You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. We want to welcome everyone there in uh, Facebook land and on the internet, those of you who listen to the podcast along the narrow way, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, and by all means, we're excited to have all of you here at the church studying with us for sure as well. Um, we're going to carry on in 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> Last week, we covered the first four verses um, in chapter 11. We're going to try to pick up the pace and cover a little more ground tonight if we can. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Before we get into the study, Jimmy, would you open us up with a word of prayer? Surely will. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather around here together again, around you, Father. And Lord, we just want to make you the center of our lives right now. And hear your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let's help us rightly divide your word of truth. And may we grow in your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name we humbly pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so... We started this chapter last week, and Paul uh, tells the Corinthians, listen, bear with me as I get indulged in some foolishness here, because although it's not beneficial to make a comparison between me and these false apostles, that's where this is going to have to go. And he introduces that, but he also begins to direct his attention towards some very pointed statements to the Corinthians themselves. Uh, really about how he had betrothed them to Christ when they had come to faith in in the gospel of Jesus and they were being unfaithful to Jesus. And he talked about how he was afraid that as Satan deceived Eve that they would be deceived by the cunning craftiness of these false teachers. Verse 5 picks back up with where he said he was going to go. More of a direct discussion about the false teachers, the false apostles. So let's pick up with verse 5. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So let's start piecing this together a little bit. 
he begins this verse with, uh, with kind of a satirical comment. Um, he calls these false prophets imminent. Do you, do you see that? For I consider that I am not all inferior to the most imminent apostles. He's referring to these false apostles. He's not talking about the original 12. He's not talking about Peter and John or any of them. In context, we keep everything in context. And in context of what we've been discussing here, he's been focused on these false apostles. And so he's, he's taking a jab. Oh, they're so imminent. They're so great. Um, calls, that, calls them super apostles in my that's, translation. Well, imminent, that's what it refers <laughs> yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. A super apostle, an extra special apostle, a super apostle. And so he's saying, okay, you have these super apostles among you. They're the ones who've been taking jabs at me. Well, I'm just going to tell you plainly, I'm not, I'm not at all inferior to them. They think they're superior. They think they're extra special. They think they're some type of super apostle, but I'm not inferior to them at all. And the bottom line was, Paul was the one true apostle of Christ. These others were false apostles. Amen. So he knew he wasn't inferior because he was the one truly called. They were not truly called. But he's going to address some of their accusations. He's already addressed them throughout the book, but now he's going to do it kind of in a comparison mode. We'll see that as we pick up the latter part of what we read. Verse 6, he says, Even though I'm untrained in speech... He brings up this acknowledgement that, okay, so I can't speak as eloquently as they do. These imposter apostles, they have silver tongues. They can spin their words. They can present eloquently. Now, in chapter 10, Paul's already mentioned this, that he's been attacked for not being able to speak good enough to be able to speak eloquently enough. If he was really a true apostle, wouldn't he be able to spin his words beautifully? Mm. They've already brought that up against him. And, and remember, Corinth carries such a strong Greek influence within their church. These people were attracted to rhetorical and uh, oratical skill. Those who were good orators, those who were rhetorical, could write well and present well. They were drawn to these people. In the Greek culture, there were people who made a living. Simply, they gave public speeches. And if they could speak really well, they were paid to do it. Hmm. That's the culture that the church sets in. And so these false apostles have that ability to spin words, to present eloquently. Paul says, look, I can't do it. I know I can't. But I, that's not needed. Because Paul's focus was on the gospel instead of trying to impress people with how he spoke. His speaking ability didn't really matter to him. It was the content of what he said that he felt was important. Yeah. That's, that's conversely true to these false apostles. The content of what they said was erroneous, but they could present it so well. Uh-huh. And so you have this contrast. Paul says, look, no, I can't speak like they speak. I don't need to because I speak the truth of the gospel, and they don't. In fact, um, John MacArthur, in speaking about Paul and addressing these false prophets, he says this, Paul knew that human eloquence draws people to the preacher, not the cross. 
Faithful preaching, on the other hand, results not in people admiring the preacher, but the Christ he proclaims. There's Paul's focus. He wants people to be drawn to admire Christ, not how well he speaks. Mm. Conversely, these false prophets wanted everyone to talk about, man, you sound so good, you present so well. I just love hearing the way you speak. Mm. Their focus was on getting the focus on themselves. Paul's focus was, I want the focus on Jesus. Amen. In fact, he had already told the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, he said these things. He says, he preached the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. He says, when I come to you, I do not come with superiority of speech or even in wisdom. I proclaim to you the testimony of God. And I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what I focus on? The cross, mm. the savior. Not on fancy speech or trying to make you think I'm wise. I leave all that stuff off so that you can hear this is Jesus. And so what we find is Paul was a powerful preacher. He was very effective in his gospel preaching, but he never concerned himself with flowery words, no. with fancy speeches, whereas these false apostles are completely opposite. And they attack him because of it. He doesn't speak well enough. He doesn't sound good enough. He doesn't put his words together well enough. And so Paul says, no, I don't. Big deal. I tell you the truth and they don't. Mm. He goes on. He says, even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. See, the false apostles may have scoffed at Paul's speaking ability, his oratory skills, but they could not scoff at his knowledge. In fact, they couldn't compare to his knowledge. So what do they do? They try to undermine him with, oh, he doesn't speak well enough. Oh, he doesn't look good enough. Oh, he didn't plan his route and his schedule properly. All the things they've brought against him. Nitpicking. <laughs> they, they nitpick every little thing except his knowledge of Christ because they can't. He's got a knowledge that is proven and far superior to theirs. They can't compare to him in that. It's because Paul had a spiritual knowledge based on the presence of God's spirit within him. They didn't have that. No. In fact, if, if you'll think back there uh, in, in last week's study, verse, was it uh, four? Verse four, he talks about they preached another Jesus and in a different spirit. What they said didn't come from the Holy Spirit, but what Paul said came from the Holy Spirit. He had access to the mysteries of God. He had access to the divine revelation of God. He spoke a knowledge that they didn't possess. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 4 and in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I speak to you the mysteries of God. How could he know them? Because the Spirit of God within him revealed those mysteries that he could speak. He had a knowledge of Christ they didn't have. That's right. A knowledge of Christ that wasn't present anywhere else. And he, he didn't claim to be special. He had already told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2, I speak to you in a wisdom that is from God. There it is right there. It's a wisdom from God. It's not that I figured it all out. It's that God it grants me the wisdom to speak. It's the wisdom Amen. of God in me, through me. It's the wisdom of God. That's what those, 
I want to call intellectuals were lacking. They had a lot of knowledge and everything, but they didn't have the wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. And knowledge without wisdom is useless, in my opinion. That's right. And you think back, that, Jimmy, that makes me think back to, uh, once again, this would be in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about how the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Yeah. I mean, the best wisdom that man can muster is just foolishness before the truth of God and the mysteries of God. That was what was manifested in Paul. He spoke the wisdom of God. Uh, God had granted him a divine wisdom to look into divine mysteries. And Paul says he had thoroughly manifested these. He had thoroughly manifested these. In other words, he's speaking to the church. He says, church, just think for a minute. Have you not learned the deep things of God because I have taught you? That's right. And now you're listening to these guys who want to undermine that. Just think for yourself for a minute. Did they teach you the deep things of God? Were the mysteries of God, was the divine revelation manifested in them or in me? <laughs> he has proven this. You know, he's declared the full counsel. That's the way he describes it in other places, the full counsel of God to the church. In fact, the authenticity of Paul's apostleship was proven by the truth of God that he proclaimed. He draws a comparison here and he says, look, if you want to see which of us are authentic, just ask yourself which one of us have manifested the knowledge of God to you. That's right. Just base it on that. His authenticity had been proven because he had a divine revelation, a divine knowledge. And so as he's comparing himself to these false apostles here, he brings up another comparison where they're different. And it's another accusation they've brought against him. It's been mentioned before. Verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to God to you free of charge? Did I commit a sin by preaching the gospel with no expectation of compensation? Because I did this free of charge, people want to scoff at me. Hmm. He says, well, listen, was I guilty of sin? Because I didn't care to be this fancy orator and I refused to take money for what I was doing, the ministry I was conducting. Now, once again, put this in context of the culture. This church is in the culture in which people value the ability to wow the audience with your words. They're in a culture where people made a living through public speaking and were paid because they could give such eloquent speeches. And Paul not only didn't speak eloquently, he didn't take money when he spoke. So now these false apostles can say, not only can you not speak good, but what he says isn't worth a dime because he won't take a dime. Mm. What he has to say has no value because if it did, he'd be charging you to say it. Hmm. They seem like they're threatened by him. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are. We're going to see that. <laughs> they, they are. And so what we see here is Paul shows a great humility because he doesn't demand payment. That's the custom of this error. The, the custom is I get paid when I give public speeches and addresses. He doesn't demand payment. He wasn't like those other guys. 
He's humble enough to say, I've been called to this ministry and that's why I do it. Yet here these false apostles come and they claim that since he didn't demand payment, then his information must not have any value and he probably doesn't even care about them anyway because if he really cared about them, he'd be vested in them enough to take their money so he's tied to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul had already talked to the church about this. This is nothing new. And in that chapter of 1 Corinthians, he explained that he had every right to be compensated for the spiritual work he was doing at Corinth. He plainly stated, I have a right for you to pay me. I have a right for you to compensate me, and I have a right for you to take care of me. I'm doing a spiritual work, he said, and I have a right to receive material benefits from it. But he says, I refuse to demand the right because I will not become a hindrance to the gospel among you. Paul seemed to understand something about this church that if he had demanded his right to be compensated and supported, it would have become a stumbling block to the ministry of the gospel. It, we don't really have explanation as to why, but it comes up in 1 Corinthians, it comes up again here. And he says, look, I've not been a burden to anybody. I've not accepted a dime. I've not asked you to pay me a dime. I've not asked you to give me food or provide housing or take care of me. I've not been a hindrance to anyone at Corinth. I've humbled myself so that you can be exalted, he said, so that you could get the full effect of the gospel of Christ and grow in that without any hindrance that the business side of church might cause. But where was the sin in that? You know, why, why did they view Paul in a negative light? It was just an attack of the false apostles. It was just another attempt for them to undermine him. They wanted to cause the church to doubt Paul, to have a lesser view of Paul. And so they attacked him for not even taking payment for what he did. Paul just can't win for losing here, Jimmy. It doesn't matter what he does, they're going to complain about it and attack him for it, you know? What we see, though, is he didn't take payment from the church at Corinth, but he was still taken care of. Verse 8, I robbed other churches, <laughs> taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, that word robbed, he uses on purpose to, to get their attention. We know Paul didn't rob churches. He didn't misuse funds. He didn't no. steal from other churches. They sent him support. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's using a word like that to get the Corinthians' attention and say, look, other churches supported my ministry while I was there with you. That's right. You were benefiting from the financial support other churches gave me because I wasn't taking anything from you. What he really mentions here is the fact that there were churches in Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica who all supported him while he was at Corinth. And those three were poor churches. Corinth was the church with the money. Yeah. But the poor churches were funding him yeah. so that he could carry out ministry. So it's the churches of Macedonia that had really little compared to Corinth who were supporting his ministry while he was at Corinth. They supported his financial and materialistic needs. Not only that, we know according to Acts 18, Paul worked to support himself while he was at Corinth. Yeah. He engaged in his skill, his tent maker, his leather work type stuff. He worked as much as he could work and still did the work of the church. And there came a point where the work of the church became too much for him to work over there. And that's when these other churches had to kick in their support. That's right. So Paul's doing everything he can 
not to let finances become a hindrance to the church at Corinth. And now it's being brought up against him that he didn't take anything from them. And so Paul ministers at Corinth without taking anything. He's getting support, but he does come upon kind of hard times. Um, Let's see, Uh, verse nine. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. So Paul says, look, there was a time where I was in need. I'm there pastoring your church, not taking a dime from you, yet I was in need. My needs went unmet until the brethren from Macedonia, that is Silas and Timothy. Silas and Timothy came from those churches and they brought me what I needed. They took care of my needs. They stepped in to provide for me so that I could provide for you spiritually. Well, Paul's not getting no support. He's not, is he? He's preaching to these people and everything. He didn't give you nothing. <laughs> he points out, though, that even when he's in need, he says, I was a burden to no one. I was a burden for no one. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, he says. And then he goes on and says, and so I will keep myself. Mm. So Paul points out, I understand there's some barriers there. So when I was ministering among you, I refrained from doing anything that would cause a hindrance to the ministry, and that involved finances. I stayed out of it. I didn't set a dime. And I will continue to be that way, he says. And so I will keep myself. I'm still not going to take money from you. I still don't want you to try to support me financially. It's not going to become an issue here. Now, I think Paul makes that deliberate statement because now he's dealing with false false apostles they don't think the way Paul does. No. They say, we speak eloquently. We impress you. You need to compensate us. Yeah. So now Paul's saying, you attacked me because I didn't take money, but let me tell you, I'm not going to take money. But not so for those false apostles. They'll take every bit you'll give them. They'll welcome all the money you want to give them. So now he's putting the false apostles kind of in a hard position. Because if they continue to take money, then it really proves, no, we're not authentic like Paul. (laughs) But then if they decline the money, well, now they fall into their own argument. What we have to say is of no value. So now Paul's put them over a barrel. And really, he was just doing what he's supposed to do. He did things with integrity. He did things with honesty up front. These guys came to attack him. He maintained his integrity. And now they're the ones over the barrel. That's right. Because if he refuses to take money, they can't. But if they don't, then what they've accused Paul of, they're guilty of. And so Paul's put these guys in a hard place. But he's going to keep up his ministry the way he's always done it. And that means he's going to keep himself from being a burden. He moves into verse 10. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows, he says. The boasting of Paul. Now, he's mentioned that a few times. He's boasted about the church at Corinth. Remember, he talked about 
you're the one that started the idea to collect church uh, money for the church in Jerusalem, and I boasted about you to the churches of Macedonia. Now you need to follow through so that I'm not embarrassed. So he's talked about boasting about the church. He's talked about having a boast in the, the work Christ has done among them. And now he's talking about the boast that comes because of the Christ that's in him. Paul says, I want to continue in this boasting because I'm boasting in Christ. And I'm going to do it through the entire region. In other words, what he's saying is this. I'm going to continue the work of the ministry. And I'm going to do it just like I've done it because the truth of Christ is in me. The truth of Christ is in me. I not only teach it, but I live it. You've seen it, and I'm going to continue to do it, and that's going to be my boast. Christ in me. In fact, Paul said that in different forms, in different places throughout the New Testament. It is Christ in me, and that's my boast, and I'm going to carry out my ministry that way. That's how I'm going to do it. Paul's pointing out, I've lived with integrity, the integrity of Christ. I've conducted my ministry in the power of Christ. You have seen Christ in me and through me and heard Christ in my words, and I'm going to continue that. That's my boast. And he says he's going to do it. He says, in the regions of Achaia. Now, that's the region that Corinth was in. The only reason I mention that is if he's going to do it in the regions, that must mean that Corinth has the church, the big church, but there must have been other congregations in the region and those other congregations must have started to be influenced by these false apostles. Oh, so he mentions, I'm going to do it in the region. Not just you, Corinth, but those other congregations too. I'm going to hit them all. And we're going to take care of this. What he's really saying, I believe, is simply this. Listen, I walk the walk, I talk the talk. I live it, I preach it. It's the truth of Christ in me and through me. You've seen it, it's proven, and that's what I'm going to continue in, and no one will stop me. It's going to go on. And he says, why? Because I do not love you? What's the question why for here? Is it about his boasting? No. It goes back to something else he said. Remember, he, he, he started this section talking about not taking payment. Not taking, not taking payment. I don't take payment. Why? Because I don't love you? He says, no. God knows. God knows I love you. This goes back to that idea that if he valued you, he would take the money from you so that he's tied to you and you can hold him accountable because you've paid him. If he's not taking your money, then he really doesn't care about you. <laughs> and he says, that's, that's, that's just absurd. That's yeah, obtuse yeah. in your thinking. God knows how much I care for you. Let God judge it. I'm so adamant about how much I love you. I'll say this, let it be before God. God knows, let him judge me on that. I mean, he's, he's refused to take money because he does love them. And he knows the hindrance it's going to become. And so, this is a statement about the deep love that we've seen. And you think back through, through the text that we've covered already in this book, Paul has expressed his love time and again. Yes, he has. He's talked about the tears he shed and the brokenness he's had over them. He loves these people, and now he's like, look, you let God judge it. Take it before God. Let him judge my love. I think he's proven his love, and I think he's also exposed 
what these false apostles love, and it's the money. That's right. They don't love the people. They love the money. That's right. You know, That's they're right. willing to tell them what they want to hear mm -hmm. as long as they keep getting paid to tell them what they want to hear. That's right. I think that's what they're falling under. I think so. So this, this was just a kind of a foolish, it was an absurd, absurd uh, allegation against Paul that he didn't love the church. Man, that was idiotic, you know. He had proven in word and deed he did, and he was confident in that. Um, the fact that this became an issue, I think, the fact that they could make an issue out of, well, does Paul even care about us? I really think that shows the dangerous influence. This was a church Paul started. Uh -huh. He invested vast amount of time there. He continually wrote back to them. He continually stayed vested in their spiritual growth and spiritual well-being. He had done so much to prove his love, and the fact that they could question it, that really illustrates the danger of false teachings because these false apostles were able to convince some in the church, Paul probably didn't really care about you. Satanic lies and satanic deceit is dangerous. That's right. It can get into a church and just make the most absurd things problems. That's what was happening. And that's why, that's why Paul replies, God knows. Let God judge. Just let him take care of it. And so you see here in kind of verses 5 through 11, Paul states his ministry. Um, he says, my ministry has been done with humility. It's been done in truth. It's been done in love. Now, beginning of verse 12, he really begins to draw a, a, a stark contrast. He really begins to highlight the false apostles' characteristics. What he kind of draws out is their pride, their deception, this false love. Mm. Uh, really, the abusiveness they've had towards the church. That's right. He, they're actually robbing the church. They're yeah. really robbing. Yeah, they're really robbing. Yeah, they're really taking. He says, verse 12, but what I do, I will also continue to do. All the things I've done, the integrity I've ministered with, the, the humility, the truth, the love, I'm going to continue to do that that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. So he said, okay, look, I'm going to keep doing everything I've just told you I do. And here's why. Because it will cut off the opportunity for these false prophets to claim they're who I am, that they do what I do, that they have the calling I have. And so he begins to point out here how they're different. How, how things work out so differently. We know these false prophets, they promoted themselves. Paul's already mentioned that in, in this book. They promote themselves. They desire to have authority. He's already talked about in this book. They look for prestige to be called a true apostle. These things he's already talked about. Now he's just highlighting them. These false apostles... They care about themselves, their own prominence, their own prestige, their own glory. But I'm going to do what I do, and it'll cut that off because they can't do what I do with humility. They can't do what I do with such uh, honesty. They can't do what I do with genuine love because you're going to have to pay them, 
and they're going to need to be recognized. They're going to be notori- need to have notoriety, and they're going to have to be touted as the authority. All the things I've said you don't have to do, they have to have. So if I keep doing this among you, you'll see they aren't the real deal, and you won't let them. It'll cut them off. That's what he's saying. And so these guys who want notoriety and financial gain, Paul's going to cut them, cut them off. Um, if he continued his work of humility... And if he refused compensation and those top things, it's going to highlight the greed. Mm-hmm. It's going to highlight the pridefulness. It's going to highlight these false teachers to be who they really are. Because the church can now compare them to Paul and say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We know this guy's the real deal, and you're nothing like him. <laughs> so he says, that's what I'm going to do. And then he lays them out. He exposes them for who they really are. That's right. That's what he does in these next three verses, 13, 14, and 15. Paul just lays them out for who they really are. For such are false apostles, deceptive workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So Paul just goes ahead and lays it on the table. He pulls the gloves off at this point and says, okay, here it is. These false apostles, they're deceitful workers. They have disguised themselves as apostles of Christ, but it's a disguise. They've come in and used the name Jesus, but not because they really care about Jesus. They have come in to manipulate, to be deceitful, and that's who they are. He says they transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness. They're not ministers of righteousness. They have transformed themselves. Now, there's a big problem with that. That's right. Because Paul has already told this church in this very letter that God made him who knew no sin to be righteousness or to be sin for us that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. How can they make themselves ministers of righteousness if Christ is the only one who can make you righteous? (sighs) Paul wasn't a minister of righteousness because he made himself a minister of righteousness. Paul was a minister of righteousness because he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and fell before him in humble submission, declaring him to be Lord and Savior, and was transformed into a new creation, made righteous through Christ, became a minister of righteousness by the calling of Christ. Here's guys who have transformed themselves to appear to be ministers of righteousness, but it's just all deceit. They're false. They're false apostles. They're false ministers of righteousness. They're men who use flattering speech to deceive the church. That's the phrase Paul uses in Romans 16, flattering speech to deceive. That's what false apostles do. They, They use flattering speech to deceive people. They're dangerous, deceitful workers for Satan. In fact, in Romans 16 and 2 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Matthew 7, Matthew 24, 1 Timothy 4, 1 John 4, Galatians 6, Ephesians 5, Colossians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, all these passages warn us about the dangers of false teachers that come into the church. It's not false teachers that are out on the corner. It's not false teachers that are standing somewhere else in a different church. It's false teachers that want to come into your church. Mm. You have to be on guard, he says. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, be on guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Mm. You know, I did a study on a little study of documentary to watch the documentary on satanic churches and one of their things is that they send people into churches to purposely cause division it's supposed to be elevate them to some kind of thing yeah. and everything like that so i believe you yeah. got this kind of going on right here you know that's right well you have these people who look like ministers of righteousness that's right they look like they're the real deal but they're not jesus calls them False prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but they're ravenous wolves that come in among the flock. There was one guy who would clothe himself in a garment made from sheepskin, and that was the shepherd, right? That's right. The shepherd wore the sheepskin. He was the true shepherd. But Jesus says there are false prophets who put on the sheepskin that come in among the flock. That's right. And they're ravenous wolves. Paul's calling these guys out for who they are. They're ravenous wolves. They're false prophets. They're false apostles. They're ministers of Satan is who they are. He just calls them for who they are. He lays it out plainly before the church. And they appear as ministers of righteousness, Paul says, because Satan, the ruler of the dominion of darkness, can transform himself into a, an angel of light or to appear as an angel of light. So is it any wonder that those who are his ministers would do anything differently? There's not going to ever be someone coming to the church to attack the church who comes in day one and tells you, I'm here to cause discord and disunity, <laughs> to teach no. you false doctrines or mislead you. They're going to come in as ministers of righteousness. That's right. Angels of light. You have to know the truth well enough to recognize them for who they are. And they're going to purposely do it. That's right. They're, they're, they're it's not a mistake. It's not a bad decision. It's not a misstatement. No. It is a purposeful attack That's right. to cause problems. That's right. That's a good point. In fact, I don't know that Satan has ever, maybe, maybe in the book of Acts early on, you could recognize Satan's blatant attack on the church. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in this day and age, I don't think that Satan attacks individual believers or the church openly as a hostile enemy. No, he's cunning. That's right. It's in the form of a friend. It's in the form of an ally. It's the form of things that are pleasant and so forth. I mean, he didn't attack Eve. Mm -hmm. He enticed her. That's right. Deception. 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 Yeah. Feeding her another truth. That's right. Sounding intellectually wise and everything like that. I'll give you knowledge and wisdom mm -hmm. if you'll take this. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying. That's right. <laughs> well, just as Satan can disguise himself, I believe the ministers of Satan disguise themselves. And, uh, and it's so subtle and it's so much of the truth blended with lies that it, sometimes it can be hard to recognize. And that's why you get churches that are off the rails. That's why you get... Yep religious groups that are a little bit off base. That's, that's where you get cults and all kinds oh, of false yeah. religions. The reality is... I mean, he attacked Jesus a lot. He didn't, like, that's right. he didn't attack him. That's right. He's like, I'll offer you all this. That's right. That's I'll right. do this for you. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But in the end, the Bible says that he is bound that's right. for, a millennial, for the millennial reign and then cast into a lake of fire at the final judgment. Mm -hmm. And then Paul, along those lines closes this section by saying whose end will be according to their works. Mm. What is their end? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, 
Paul speaks of those who are false prophets. Mm -hmm. And he back, here's how he says it. If I do it, if an angel does it, or if anyone else preaches another Jesus, a different gospel, he is accursed. He is. That's the end. False prophets, their end will be according to their works. What is that end? It is being accursed. It is the same end that Satan comes to. Mm -hmm. The Lord Jesus does not take kindly to people messing with his bride. No, no, he doesn't. And so never has, never their will. end is a detrimental, terrible thing. So we'll stop right there because really we probably went a tad over and we'll pick up with verse uh, 16, 16 next week. Amen. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, everyone who tuned in tonight, watching online and listening to the podcast. We thank you for being a part of Along the Narrow Way. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.